I'm very pleased to be here, very grateful for the invitation from Pastor Zach to be a part of this conference. What an exciting thing it is to see that God is doing and uh, pouring into wonderful lives such as your own. And uh, it fills me with a lot of uh, confidence for what God's going to do in the future. I know God got a hold of my life and the life of my wife uh, at a young age, and we gave the early years of our lives to serve in the Lord. And not only the early years, but I just say it, we, we tell people often, give the young years of your life to serving the Lord. In whatever way he would appoint that, uh, but dedicate yourself to the Lord in your young years, and you will not regret it. And I, and I see uh, God moving in just that way all across this room. Well, I, I want to bring something to you here. Uh, the big theme verse for our time together is John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But I want to begin with something that happened, uh, I don't know, about 12 hours after Jesus made that dramatic statement. Now, I want you to imagine just for a moment and consider that from a purely human perspective, the Roman governor Pontius Pilate was the most powerful man that Jesus of Nazareth ever spoke to. After all, the Roman Senate had appointed Pilate to manage the occupation of the region, to represent the authority of the Roman Senate, the Roman Empire, Caesar himself. And so when Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate, he had already suffered his agony in Gethsemane. He suffered the terror of a nighttime arrest. He suffered that sleepless night, that show trial before the religious authorities and before the Sanhedrin. He had suffered the mockery, the abuse, He'd been spat upon on his very face and several beatings, some of those beatings, blindfolded. If you can imagine being beaten while blindfolded, you have no opportunity to sort of prepare yourself for the punch to come. Standing before Pontius Pilate, perhaps the greatest stress upon Jesus was not any of those things that he had just recently suffered, but the knowledge of the suffering that he would face in the next several hours. Jesus knew where this was going to go, that he would be scourged, that he would be further mocked, that he would carry a cross, and that he would go to Calvary and be crucified. And as Pontius Pilate questioned Jesus about who he was, what he had done, why this man, Jesus of Nazareth, was before this powerful Roman governor, Jesus told him plainly, and I'm reading to you now from John chapter 18, verse 37. You rightly say that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I've come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Now, I want you to think carefully about what Jesus said to Pontius Pilate, that very powerful man. First of all, can you imagine Jesus saying to Pilate, I am a king. 
What a radical statement to make. I mean, that, that was, in a sense, the crime for which he was on trial before Pilate. So without reservation, she says, I am a king. But then secondly, Jesus said, my whole life, my whole purpose was to testify to the truth. That's what he means. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I've come into the world to bear witness, to testify of the truth. And then Jesus said this. This is perhaps even more radical. He said, those who love the truth, those who have the truth, they hear me, they accept me, they respond to me. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Now, when Pontius Pilate, that powerful man, heard those words from Jesus, do you remember what his reply was? In the very next verse, Pilate said this to Jesus, what is truth? You stand before me talking about truth. You say your entire purpose of life, the whole reason why you've came is to testify of the truth. And everybody who loves the truth will hear you and listen to you and follow you. Well, Mr. Jesus of Nazareth, what is the truth? And I'll tell you, it's, it's sad that Pontius Pilate did what a lot of people do when they ask that question. He moved on to other business. Because the answer to Pilate's question, what is truth? It was actually right in front of him. It was literally staring him in the face. Now, if you want to take Pilate's question, what is truth, and give a philosophical answer to it, I'd say this. Truth is that which corresponds to reality. Tr truth is a description. Truth is the way things are. What is real? Now, look, there is a such thing as subjective truth. Truth that just depends on a person's opinion. We could talk about what's the best flavor of ice cream. We get all kinds of votes. It's obviously Rocky Road, but that's another thing. <laughs> but friends, the obvious category of subjective truth, in our modern age, for a long time now, it's not a recent development, but that obvious category of subjective truth, such as what's the best flavor of ice cream, that idea has been weaponized to the point now where many people believe many things are entirely or truly subjective and people can just make up the truth as they go along. Under that kind of modern thinking, truth doesn't have to fit to reality Truth fits me. So should I take things that don't belong to me? Well, what fits me? That gives me the answer. Is abortion right or wrong? Well, what fits me? That's the answer of our modern society. Is it right or wrong to have sex with my girlfriend? Well, what fits me? What is my gender identity? Am I a man or a woman? Well, again, what fits me?
Do you see how an obvious category of subjective truth has been weaponized to sort of erase the idea of truth? In the 1970s, a Christian philosopher named Francis Schaeffer saw this problem developing and he had a lot of great things to say about it, but, but he's, one of the things he said that was really good was that maybe Christians should start talking about true truth, to, to make a clear a category of truth that isn't dependent upon personal preferences or opinion. And I don't know if we've got to adopt the suggested terminology of Francis Schaeffer, but surely we've got to have that concept. Yeah, yeah there's subjective truth. But friends, there's true truth that doesn't depend on anybody's opinion. So again, that valid category of subjective truth doesn't eliminate the fact that there's truth that does not care about what fits you or me or anybody else. The truth of gravity doesn't care about what fits me. The truth of mathematics doesn't care about what fits me. And friends, the truth of God's design and will doesn't care about what fits me. And furthermore, the truth about Jesus Christ doesn't care about what fits me. Now that's all relevant to a philosophical question or a philosophical answer to the question that Pilate asked. What did Pilate ask? What is truth? But friends, there's also a much more personal answer. Not so much philosophical, but personal. Literally, standing in front of Pontius Pilate was truth. The embodiment of truth. Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is truth. And let's just say some approximately 12 hours before Pontius Pilate interrogated Jesus, Jesus spoke to his disciples. It was in the upper room and in that extended conversation that Jesus had with his disciples, he surprised them. He surprised his disciples with startling news. Basically saying, fellas, I'm out. I've been your rabbi, I've been your master, your teacher for three years, but I need to let you know, I'm out, I'm leaving you. The way this is now, with me being your rabbi and us traveling everywhere and me teaching and you, that... That's done. I'm leaving you. I'm sure maybe some of you in your romantic relationships have heard those words before. It never feels good, does it? It didn't feel good to the disciples. They were shocked. They were surprised. But Jesus explained, it doesn't have to trouble you because by God's plan and purpose, you're going to be provided for. What I've taught you, Jesus was saying, all along, that's going to be real in you. And God's going to work with it. And you're going to have the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. And in that conversation, Jesus told them, this is in John chapter 14, verse 4. Jesus said, listen, where I go, you know. And the way you know. This is all part of that extended conversation where Jesus is saying, I'm out, guys. I'm leaving you, but let me explain. This is how it's going to work from here on out. Jesus said those words, where I go, you know, and the way you know. And God bless Thomas. Thomas, always brave enough to ask the right questions. He 
said, wait a minute, Jesus. We don't know where you're going, and we don't know the way. You just said we know, we don't know. And that's when Jesus said, John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, we, we can consider the idea about Jesus being the way that divides itself very neatly, right? The way, the truth, the life. And we can talk about that idea about Jesus being the way. And let me just give a quick consideration to that. The main idea in John chapter 14, verse 6, of the way, the truth, and the life, the main idea in that collection of three things, the main idea is the way. That's the leading idea. How do we know this? Well, I would say there's at least three ways that we know it. Number one, because that's the response to Thomas's question. What did Thomas ask? He said, we don't know the way. And Jesus responded, I am the way. So that's one way we know it's the dominant idea. The second way is that we know that of these three aspects, the way, the truth, and the life, which one did Jesus list first to give it a little more prominence? Again, the way is the one that he mentioned first. But, but then again, the second part of verse 6, Jesus uses an expression related to travel, to a path, to a way. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. I'm the path. Therefore, there's a sense in which Jesus said this. I am the way. I am the truthful way. I am the living way. And because of this, you must come to God the Father through me. Because I am the way. I'm the truthful way. I'm the living way. Some 12 hours after Jesus spoke those words to his disciples in that upper room, Pilate asked the question that I believe Pilate didn't really want to answer to because he quickly moved on to other business. Pilate said, What is truth? And as I said before, the answer to his question literally was standing in front of him. The man standing before the seemingly powerful Roman governor, that man, Jesus of Nazareth, was unique in all of history. Friends, really, there's no doubt Jesus Christ is the most consequential man to ever walk this earth. No one has influenced history as much as he. And if you go to the Bible and just see what Jesus said about himself, think about it carefully. He said that he came from heaven in a different way than anybody else. Jesus said that he had a unique relationship with God the Father, a relationship that nobody else had. Jesus said that he was one with God the Father and that he shared his glory. Jesus said that he had all authority over heaven and earth. Now, as I read these things, I I just want you to, to, to imagine in your mind any other human being making such claims. Can you imagine any other human being making a claim the greatest of men or women who walk this earth, that they have all authority over heaven and earth. Jesus said that. 
Jesus said that his words would last forever. Jesus said that he had never sinned. Jesus said that in his death, he would stand in the place of guilty sinners bearing the guilt, the shame, and the judgment associated with all their sins. Jesus said that death had no power over him. Jesus said that he wouldn't just cheat death in escaping death, but that he was greater than death and that he would rise from the dead. Jesus Christ said, I can't imagine anybody else saying these things. Jesus Christ said that he would sit in judgment over all humanity. And Jesus said that he was and is God. Now I want you to connect that to John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Friends, when Jesus made such claims about himself, it's really a, a binary choice. It's one or the other. Either he was true or he isn't. When you make claims like that, I will sit in judgment over all humanity. You can't be a little bit right about that. You're either right or wrong. And it cannot be true but irrelevant. Yes, Jesus Christ really will sit in judgment over every human being, every one of you, every person you'll ever meet. He will sit in judgment over every person who has ever lived. Ah, but it doesn't really matter much. Do you see how absurd that is? Friends, this is what it comes down to. If Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be, then everything is different. And if Jesus is who he claimed to be, if Jesus is who he said he was, then what Jesus said about the Bible is true. I could give you a lot of reasons to have confidence in the Bible. I love talking about that. But can I give you one great reason? Perhaps the greatest reason is that Jesus Christ himself declared radical confidence in the Bible. Jesus said that he was God, the God of the Old Testament. Jesus said that he did not come to overturn or to change the Old Testament, but to fulfill it. Jesus fulfilled, affirmed the Old Testament. He said that very specifically in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Friends, the next time Jesus or somebody says that Jesus never spoke about certain aspects of sexual morality, Jesus directly affirmed the sexual morality of the Old Testament when he said, I have not come to overturn the law, but to fulfill it. Jesus said that the scriptures cannot be broken, that they are authoritative and eternally so, including the Old Testament. Jesus believed that it was the scriptures that settled issues. In his debate with the religious leaders, he said, you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. Let me show you what the word really says. Jesus appealed to the Bible to settle 
controversial issues. Jesus believed that God's commands must be understood and must be obeyed. And Jesus believed that when he ascended to heaven, then that the apostles would speak on his behalf. He said so in that very same upper room discourse later on in it in John chapter 16. And Jesus believed that people should receive his apostles just as they received him. Jesus was bold enough to believe that he was the end point, the focus of all the scriptures. And Jesus said that the word of God is truth. Now friends, that's a pretty solid case, isn't it? For saying Jesus trusted the Bible. And I'll tell you this categorically. No one can point to any place in the Bible at all that even gives a hint of the idea that Jesus said, whoa, everybody, you you need to be less into the scriptures. Well, everybody, your problem is, is that you're too much into the Bible. There's not a hint of that anywhere in the whole life and ministry of Jesus. So there are many, many reasons to believe that the Bible is true. Many. I mean, after all, the Bible is unique in its continuity. It was written over 1,600 years. It has over, uh, over more than 60 generations. It was written by more than 40 authors on three different continents in, in different circumstances and places, in different times, in different moods, in three different languages, and, and it's written concerning scores of controversial subjects. But it speaks with one united voice. That makes the Bible very special. The Bible's unique in its circulation. It's the most published and popular book ever written by a huge extent. The Bible's unique in its translation. It was the first book ever translated, and it's now been translated into more languages than any other book in existence. The Bible's unique in its survival. There's no book that has survived the ravages of time, manual transcription, persecution, and criticism like the Bible. The Bible's unique in its honesty. It deals with the sins and failures of its heroes in a manner that's that's completely unknown among ancient literature. The Bible is unique in its influence. It has had, far and away, a greater influence on culture and literature than any other book in existence. The Bible's a book of predictive prophecy, literally fulfilled. Friends, regarding Jesus the Messiah alone, there's more than 300 Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah that were fulfilled by Jesus of Nazareth. The the Bible has accurately and precisely predicted the rise and falls of cities, kingdoms, empires, and specific rulers. And the Bible is a book that has profoundly changed the lives of millions irrespective of their race, class, era, sex, locale, age, status, whatever. Now, all those are are wonderful reasons to believe in the validity and the trustworthiness of the Bible. But I would put on top of all of that, Jesus Christ affirmed the Scriptures in every way. As God, Jesus told us that the Bible can be trusted. Friends, the Bible's true. It's truth. We can be wrong about our interpretation of the Bible. Absolutely so. 
That's entirely possible. And we can be wrong in our applications of biblical truth. Also true. But what the Bible itself gives us is true. So when the Bible gives us history, it's right and true. The events actually happened as described. When the Bible gives us poetry, it's right and true. The feelings and experiences were real for the writer and they ring true to human experience. When the Bible gives us prophecy, it's right and true. The events described will come to pass or have come to pass just as it is written. And when the Bible gives us instruction, it's right and true. It truly does tell us the will of God and the best way to live. And when the Bible tells us of God, it is right and true. It reveals to us what the nature and the heart and the mind of God are as much as we can comprehend as human beings. Now there are people who think that the Bible is full of errors and falsehoods. First thing I'd say about those people is you disagree with Jesus. To say Jesus is true and the Bible is true is not to say two completely different things but to say two things that are closely related because Jesus himself affirmed the validity and the integrity of the scriptures. Jesus is truth. Isn't that what he told us in John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth. Fascinating. Jesus didn't say that he had a way, that he had a truth, that, that, that he had a life, although all those things were true. No, he said he is the way, the truth. Jesus is truth. John chapter 1, verses 14 and 17 tells us that truth came by Jesus Christ. Jesus repeatedly said that he tells the truth. John chapter 8, verse 40, verses 45 and 46. John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus says that he tells the truth. And friends, the Bible is true and tells us the truth. I like some of these references from the Old Testament. Psalm chapter 12, verses 6 and 7. I'm thinking of preaching from Psalm chapter 12 tomorrow. The, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. You shall keep them, O Lord. You shall preserve them from this generation forever. Not only does that say that in Psalm 12, Jesus affirmed that when he affirmed all the Old Testament. Or Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Or Psalm 119, verse 89. Talk about a gold mine, talking about God's word, Psalm 119. But verse 89, I love this one phrase. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Friends, can you just rely on that? That verse that Jesus himself affirmed? 
forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Oh, there's a lot of controversy about the word of God today. Good heavens, what am I going to do? This comic mocks the word of God. Oh, I'm going to faint. Oh, 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 this fellow over here says that it's, oh my goodness, this TikTok video says that the word of God is ridiculous. Oh my, what shall I do? Friends, I don't care if the word of God is reviled by comics, by scholars, by TikTok, social media influence. Who cares? It's settled in heaven. That's good enough for me. People rage about it on earth. But it is settled in heaven. Now because the Bible's true, what the Bible says about any subject is true. The Bible's not a science textbook, so that's true. But what it does say about science is true. And as being true, the Bible speaks in the ordinary language of everyday speech. I've actually heard people try to make a case against the Bible being true because it talks about sunrises. And they say, oh no, the sun doesn't rise. It's the rotation of the earth that creates the... And you just say, good heavens, would you run out of here with this? It's the Bible speaks about reality, oftentimes how it appears from the perspective of the speaker. The Bible uses expressions of speech. And sometimes those expressions of speech need to be sorted through. Absolutely so. But just as much as we realize when we say uh, that two teams went at it head to head, we don't mean that they actually went and started butting heads against one another. We understand what exactly that means. Okay, they, they, you know, played against one another. They competed against one another. We use figures of speech like that all the time, and we understand what they mean. The Bible uses such things as well. All right, back to Pontius Pilate. There's Jesus standing before Pontius Pilate, the same man who 12 hours before, I'll just give that as an approximate number. I could kind of... I was a little lazy on this. I didn't sit down and like do the, the calculations with the time. But let's just say 12 hours before. Jesus was with his disciples. And he said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When Jesus was explaining himself to Pilate, he said this. Everyone who is of the truth Hears my voice. That's John chapter 18, verse 37. Let me just get this very practical for you. And I mean this to each one of you individually. Are you of the truth? Let me read you what Jesus said again. I want to put the emphasis on his words. Jesus said, Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Means you listen to him, you respond to him, you pay attention to his words, you take in his word. Because, friends, make no mistake about it, if Jesus is who he said he was, and of course I entirely believe that he was, Jesus being who he said he was, his words are not just the red letters in your Bible, his words is the whole thing from Genesis to Revelation. And Jesus said that if you're of the truth, 
You'll hear his words. You'll pay attention to this. You'll give your heart, your mind to understanding this. You'll make it your pathway of life. And I want to know, could this be said of you? That you are of the truth. Now friends, it is only harsh or narrow to consider the Bible true if it isn't true. I'll grant you that. If it's not true, then it's a very harsh and narrow thing to consider it to be true. But if it is true, if it does correspond to reality, especially God's reality, especially reality that this man, Jesus Christ, who walked this earth was more than a man, that he was whom he claimed to be, the Son of God and God the Son, then it's not narrow. It is light and it is life. Friends, because the Bible is true, every believer needs to look at it, not primarily as a devotional aid or a source of inspiration. You need to look at the Bible as a guidebook. And friends, there's many helpful sources for our devotional life. Many sources of inspiration. But friends, your social media feed can be a source of inspiration. You know, where you just get little nuggets of encouragement and inspiration. But a guidebook is different. Think of it like a cookbook. A cookbook is a guidebook. It tells you what to do. And if you don't do what it says, you shouldn't be surprised that the results come out differently. A a, a map app on your phone is a guidebook. These are sources that actually tell you what to do, and you make decisions based on it. I'm either going to do what this cookbook tells me to do, or I'm not. I'm either going to do what this maps app tells me to do, or I'm not. You're going to perform actions based on what they tell you. Uh, Let me just ask you, when's the last time you made a decision based on what the Bible told you to do? I hope it's not a very long time ago. Now, this is very different from making up your mind about something and then looking back to the Bible to try to get something to back yourself up. Look, I'll be honest. The Bible's a big book. You, you can use that form of reasoning to justify just about anything you want to do. For example, if I want to lie about something, I could look for a place where someone in the Bible told a lie. A, a great man of God like Abraham. Well, Abraham told a lie and it worked out okay for him. I guess that's okay. I can justify myself from that. But friends, that's not rightly dividing the word of truth. The Bible repeatedly speaks about the danger of hearing without doing. Jesus talked about it in his great end to the Sermon on the Mount. You know that whole thing with building on the right foundation. That building on the right foundation is really all about hearing the word of God and doing it as opposed to hearing it and not doing it. But it's also spoken of in Romans chapter 2, James chapter 1. I guess the truth is this, is that you can know all about Jesus and still reject him. You can know all about salvation but never have it. 
You can know all about healing, but never be healed. You can know all about God's love, but never receive it. You can know all about God's power, but never walk in it. You can know all about God's instruction concerning everything in life, but not follow it, and so forth. So friends, look for the answers to your life's problems and Bible. Look to Jesus for those answers, and Jesus reveals his answers to you in his word. And I want to emphasize again, because Jesus is God, who he said he was, his word is not just the red letters. His word is what he presents to us from Genesis to Revelation. And then do your best to understand what the Bible's telling you. Trust that God's power will enable you to do what he's telling you to do. And pray, asking him to do just this. You, you open up your Bible and say, Lord, you, I see you command me to do this. But it's really hard. It goes against many things in my nature. This is difficult for me, Lord. Can you help me? And God will answer such prayers. Praying with others about this is also helpful. Telling other people, hey, I'm trying to do what the word of God tells me to do in this situation, but it's difficult. Will you pray with me about this? And then step out in faith and do what the Bible tells you to do. If you need help, then look to other people in God's family. Because the word speaks to us not only as individuals, but also as a community. But it all comes back to this. Jesus Christ was right when he said, I am the truth. And everything else flows out from that. Father, I pray that you would help us to walk in that truth. Thank you, Lord, that the fact that Jesus Christ is God changes everything. And that we have this more sure word. Confirmed, Lord, yes, by prophecy, but by so many other things about who Jesus is and what he came to do in our midst. Lord, help us to receive it, to trust it, to walk in it. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.